invite you to stand as you're able for the reading of God's holy word. Today we read from the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse four. I invite you to hear these holy words. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the grace and God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. We again say a word of greeting this morning to all of you. We're thankful for those here in the sanctuary as well as those who are streaming and watching on television. It is grateful to, uh, we are grateful to be with everyone today. We say a special word of greeting today to those in Atkins, Cotton Plant, and Mayflower, as well as those watching uh, from hospital rooms and nursing homes as well. We're thankful for your presence. I missed being with you last week. I was on the clock, however. I was preaching in Memphis, Tennessee, at a rally uh, for United Methodist. For those who are excited about the United Methodist Church and its future, they had a big event in which they asked me to come and preach. And so I was not with you last week, but I am grateful to be back with you today. Let us pray. Oh Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. Some years ago, Mother Teresa decided that it was important to open up another campus, if you will, of ministry in Calcutta, another focal point where those who were hungry and those who were sick and those who were dying would have a place to go. So she went to the authorities in Calcutta with her plan after meeting some resistance, they finally okayed the new spot. The new location was ideal because it was in the heart of suffering, where so many people could easily access what it was that Mother Teresa and her sisters could provide through the Catholic Church for those suffering in any way. However, almost immediately, there was a problem. Once they located this new ministry, they realized that it was right next door to a Hindu temple. And radical Hindus would have nothing to do with this new ministry that Mother Teresa was putting in place. They didn't want Christians close by. They were a threat. And so a mob of radical Hindus one day approached this new ministry that Mother Teresa and her sisters had in place, ready to storm the facilities. They had rocks in hand, clubs in hand, ready to run Mother Teresa and her group of women caring for the needy out once and for all. 
And when they arrived, this radical group of Hindus stood at the door and called out for Mother Teresa. That diminutive figure came outside and she asked for the leader of the group of Hindus and a man stepped forward. She said, before you act, would you come and see what it is we are doing? And interestingly enough, he agreed. He informed the mob that they were to wait in place and do nothing until he returned. He went inside. Sometime later, he came out. The mob quickly asked, should we go ahead and do what we came to do? And the leader of the mob, who had seen the ministry of Mother Teresa, said yes, but only after our mothers and our sisters do the same thing for humanity that Mother Teresa and her sisters are doing. Isn't it interesting that Mother Teresa could influence a mob in such a way to turn their hearts away from violence and to recognize this important ministry that would reside right next to this Hindu temple from then on. Paul says, rejoice always and let your gentleness be known. Let it be evident. One of the extraordinary things about Mother Teresa was that she was a very gentle soul who could get a whole lot done. She could get it done because even non-believers, even people who practiced other faiths, saw something in her, a quality that they saw as necessary for all of humanity to survive. She could be that persuasive just by being the kind of person who showed the gentle qualities that she possessed. Mother Teresa was the kind of person who thought about that on a daily basis. But she didn't just think about it, she showed it. In other words, not only was it a part of the makeup of who she was, but it was evident to everybody else. So the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi, but Paul writes to the Philippians while he is himself imprisoned. He has been tortured. He is in the most wretched of conditions. With open wounds, he writes to the Philippians, if you can imagine this, a letter of encouragement to hang in there as a follower of Jesus Christ, to continue to be faithful. This Paul who has been abused, writes, if you can imagine, rejoice without ceasing. If anyone had a right to turn away from the notion that rejoicing was a part of the makeup of the Christian faith, it would have been Paul with all the physical abuse that he took. Paul then goes on to say, do not be anxious about anything. Now, Paul is facing the reality of more torture, more imprisonment, and even execution. And he says in this letter, don't be anxious about anything. 
Can you imagine what kind of faith it must take under those kinds of circumstances to write something like that to a fledgling congregation or congregations? Then he says, always remember that the Lord is near. He is in a dark, dank, infested place. And he says the Lord is near. What Paul does masterfully well is deal with the circumstances in which he finds himself in life and lives in such a way that he rejoices unceasingly, that he finds actual joy, not some kind of masochistic pleasure, but some kind of joy in being a follower of Jesus Christ and knowing that he has suffered like the one who suffered for him. It's extraordinary to think about what Paul writes to the Philippians under the conditions in which he finds himself. So interestingly enough, Paul uses absolutes. He says, always, everywhere, every situation, all times. These are absolutes, Paul says. In other words, there's no compromise when it comes to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He writes to the Philippians and says, in every situation, at all times, in every circumstance, there is no backing down. And one of the things that Paul does, I think, masterfully well, is he lives in such a way that he thinks about it constantly. How do I live like Jesus Christ? And then as a natural response, he makes it evident by showing it. He thinks it and shows it in such a way that it is compelling for the reader and for those who meet him to live as he lives. Paul says, try to do like I do. Now, he, he's not being arrogant. He's just saying there are examples out there of who we are to follow and how we are to follow, and I'm trying to do that. And if we all do it together, what a difference we could make. Now, every one of us have a reason at one time or another to whine and complain, to wallow in our suffering. And yet Paul says, in essence, there is no room for that. Our responsibility is to find joy unceasingly. It is to find the nearness of God when it is dark and dank in life. It is to not be overcome with anxiety, even though we face uncertainty circumstances and a future we, that we don't know what might be. I think one of the reasons that Pope Francis is so compelling to so many people is that he has set the bar so high for popes from now on. Now remember, popes had a luxurious apartment in which to reside. They traveled in the lap of luxury limousines, the best of circumstances, eating the most delicious of foods. And here comes Pope Francis, and he messes all of that up. He rides in little bitty cars. He has a very simple apartment. 
He eats rather bland, plain food. And when interviewed and asked, why is this the case? In essence, what he says is that I have to think and show it all the time. I have to think like Jesus thought, and I have to live like Jesus lived. I have to be the kind of person I've been called to be. And I think what he does extraordinarily well is make it evident to the rest of us that he really is a servant of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, we recognize our responsibility as servants of Jesus Christ and the role we play in the world to be a witness to the faith and how it is we respond to others. And there are a lot of people who can be very critical of the church and sometimes they have every right to be critical of the church because the church is made up of imperfect, sinful people. We don't always get it right. We don't always respond like we should. Sometimes we lash out as individual Christians at those who, for whatever reason, are different from us. We're not always the ideal witness. And so what we have to do is remind ourselves of what it is the Apostle Paul says we are called to do and who it is we are called to be. We are called to be the kind of people who think about it and show it. That is, think about what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ and show it on a consistent basis so it literally becomes a part of the makeup of who we are. There are always going to be people who use excuses to stay away from the church. It's made up of hypocrites. It's made up of people who think they're better than everybody else. And I always find that ironic because we are a bunch of hypocrites and we're not the kind of people who think we're better than everybody else. In fact, we recognize our sinful nature and our need for a savior. But sometimes we really have to think about our response before we respond and then show the proper response because there is a part of the makeup of every one of us who just wants to lash out and strike back and put things in order and say the way it should be and leave it there. And the consequences can deal with themselves. A little over a week ago, one of the churches that I used to serve made a decision to leave the United Methodist Church. It was very upsetting to me. I was in that church quite a while. Very upsetting to me. And one of the primary reasons why it was so upsetting to me is that I think that church was filled with information that was incorrect. It was not substantive. It didn't have the backing of facts. And yet, that was the kind of information that was spread throughout that congregation. No evidence to support the statements, no quotes to support people saying that in the Methodist church, nothing that would hold water. And it was infuriating to me that that congregation would make that kind of decision based on information that was so shallow and so empty and so void of truth. So I decided I'm not going to have any of that. You know what I'm going to do? My picture's on the wall in that church. I'm going to tell them to take it down. I don't want to be a part of that. I'm going to tell the leadership of that church the way it ought to be. I'm going to tell them how I feel as a former pastor of that congregation. And then, dadgummit, this is the scripture passage that we had to deal with. A scripture that says that we are to be the kind of individuals who make it evident to people that we follow Jesus Christ. We don't always lash out. We don't always strike back. We let our gentleness be known to others. 
So I didn't do it, and I'm not going to do it. Because that is not a good Christian witness. Do I want to do it? Ooh, do I want to do it. But I'm not going to do it. We are people who follow Jesus Christ, and we have to live by a particular standard. And sometimes living by that standard is hard. It's not always easy because it feels good to say, this is what I know to be true, and you're not following truth, and by golly, I'm going to tell you. But our role is to be a witness. Don't be anxious. Be gentle. Not only think it, but show it. Make it evident to the world that we live by a higher, greater standard. It's an absolute from Paul. He says every time, in every situation, always. Paul doesn't say, I want you to contemplate it for a while. I want you to stew over it. He says in every circumstance. And sometimes that is more of a challenge than we realize. But we live by absolutes because we follow an absolute. We follow the one, the only one, who is fully God and fully human, who came into the world to be an example to the rest of us of how we are to live and how we are to relate to each other. To live in such a way that we are a witness to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. So Jesus, remember, said things like, you have to forgive 70 times 7. Oh, Jesus, how about 69? That's plenty, right? No, 70 times 7, an infinite number of times. You have to forgive always. It's an absolute. Jesus says, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other as well. But Jesus, you know, that starts to hurt after a while. But notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, if they strike both cheeks, that would hurt enough. The third time, you get a chance to lash out. It is an absolute from the mouth of Jesus. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Every time Jesus speaks... He speaks in such a way that the assumption is we do it like he would have us to do it every single time, no matter what the circumstances might be. And Paul says it's our job to let our gentleness be known to others, like Mother Teresa, like Pope Francis, but more importantly, like Jesus. In my own imagination, I think about those occasions when children came to Jesus. I can just see Jesus walking along and children grabbing his legs and squeezing tight. And he hugs them and he picks them up and he laughs with them and he plays with them. It is that gentle spirit that Jesus had that he made so evident in the lives of children that he also said, you adults, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, you got to be like the children. I think Jesus was one who rejoiced without ceasing. I think those occasions when he brought about healing, when he touched people nobody else would touch, when he had conversations with people nobody else would speak to, I think in situations like that, Jesus found the great joy of being able to rejoice and celebrate the changed life of the one standing in front of him. And we are called to do the same. You think about Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia, and communist China. 
And each one of those situations, millions of people were killed because those were considered godless countries. There was no solid moral fiber. There was no absolute that everyone bowed down before that was not human. There was no God that stood above all else. And as a result, the sanctity of life was not important. What we have to recognize is that every human being is created in the image of God and every human being has a place in the world and a purpose and a reason for being. And when we lash out and when we strike back verbally, physically, whatever it may be, what we are doing is denying the sacred worth of another human being, even when we feel compelled to do it. So our responsibility is to do like the Apostle Paul did, and we think about it so often that it becomes a part of who we are. So we think about it and show it by the way we live. And as a result of all of that, Paul says that there will be a level of peace that is immeasurable. And if you think about the world in which we live today, the greatest example of being able to prove the existence of God is how you live your life. And if we can do that collectively, the ripple effect of that can be worldwide. And in the world we live in today, where there is so much pain, so much suffering, so much fear and uncertainty, and so few people who have control over the destiny of the entire world with the push of a button, we have got to live in such a way that the standard by which we live is above all else, and that standard is Jesus Christ. And if we can have that gentle spirit and we can be a non-anxious presence in the world, it becomes contagious and other people want a piece of it as well. So we work at it. We do our best. We think about it. And we show it. That's who we are. Hallelujah. Amen.